Good morning, Bethel Hover Portage. I'm totally going to walk all over that thing. Well, I got my water up here because I did something really stupid. I had a, a lunch meeting on Friday in DeMont, so I had a half an hour drive in front of me, so I put on my favorite tunes, and I definitely was belting them out way too loud, so my throat's a little scratchy, so i sorry about that. My preaching professor at Hobart would be way disappointed in me that I didn't protect my voice, but uh, I was singing Let It Be Jesus. I was hoping, man, I was praying that we'd sing that song today, so I'm glad that we did. Well, uh, my name's Joey. If you don't uh, remember from the other times that I was here, usually I'm at the Crown Point or the Gary Campus. Uh, my wife Julie and I are here today, so I'm just excited to share the, the gospel truth uh, with you and with myself to preach to myself as well. I always tell people when I get up to preach that uh, really it's me preaching to myself and you get to overhear me having a conversation with myself. So if I say things today, know that I'm saying it to myself first and foremost. Well, seven years ago, my wife Julie and I moved up to northwest Indiana from a small town northeast of Lafayette called Delphi. Delphi is uh, known really for one thing, bacon. And we have about 2,800 people, two stoplights, one school. So a pretty small town. So when we moved up here, it was definitely a change for us. For one thing, you guys root for different teams than we grew up rooting for. You guys eat Chicago-style hot dogs, Italian beef sandwiches, and Chicago deep dish pizza, all of which were completely foreign to us at the time. We've grown to love all three of those things, by the way. Though we still root for different teams, sorry. Uh, I went from the two stoplights in my hometown to driving through 18 stoplights on the way to, to the mill every morning. So this was definitely a foreign place to us. We felt like exiles in a way, strangers. We felt homeless. Sometimes the gospel makes us feel homeless in our own communities. Maybe you felt this. As you come to know Jesus, as you read the word and apply the scripture to your heart, your values start to change. Your priorities become different. The things that you think about and spend time on are different from the people at your workplace or the people that you watch on TV or the people that you hang out with or even sometimes your family. And it can make you feel like, man, I just, I just don't fit like I used to. Maybe sometimes the gears are grinding in your relationships. You feel strange or like an exile. Maybe you feel homeless. Well, the church to which Peter is writing to in First Peter felt very much like that. Indeed, in the very first sentence of First Peter, he addresses them as exiles or strangers. The word there actually means to be without home. They felt homeless in their own city, in their own culture, because their priorities had started to become different. Where they were at, the, the, the society told them that they needed to worship at the temple with the prostitutes. They needed to cheat and steal their way to the top of the ladder. They needed to have multiple sexual partners. They practiced homosexuality. They even killed people just for sport in gladiatorial contests. So they felt completely out of place. So Peter is writing to them, realizing this struggle. They feel this struggle and this tension between the world that they knew and the gospel that they now hold on to, how their values and their priorities have changed. And so Peter is writing to them in the passages that we're going to look at today, 
telling them how the gospel addresses their homelessness. And so if you would, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to see how the gospel addresses our homelessness. So our verses for us today are 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Everybody got it? Turn your iPhones on. Pull it up. Peter says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let me pray for our hearing of the word. Holy Father, we thank you for these truths that you have for us in First Peter. Holy Spirit, we pray that, pray that you would illumine them to our hearts right now, that you would sink them in deep, that you would speak clearly through me, that you would speak clearly to your people. May you be glorified in this time. We pray all these things to give you glory. Amen. And so here we see in verse 22, the first part, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Now, does anyone read that and they say, hey, ho, 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 hold on, wait a minute. That seems a little weird. I got to read that again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, does that not strike anyone as a little contradictory with just a few sentences before when he said that you were ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ? He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. I hope that that causes you to stop when you read that and think, okay, what is he saying? We know Peter's not uh, insane. He's not going to just contradict something he said two sentences later. So that causes us to dive deep in what does he mean by our obedience to the truth? Because that seems to be at odds with what we know about the truth of the gospel. And that is that our obedience gets us nothing but sin and death and punishment. Because it's not good enough. And so let's look at that, that passage. The thing that he says is that our souls are purified or washed clean. The word there, washed clean. So our souls are washed clean by what? By our obedience to the truth. So the first question that I ask myself and that we can ask this morning is, what is this truth that we are obeying? That seems to be a key in understanding this kind of interesting phrase from Peter. What is this truth that by obeying, we have been washed clean? Well, if we look in the passage, and if you look throughout the rest of the passage, he he says in verse 23, he quotes the living and abiding word of God. And then in verse 25, he says, and this word is the good news, a.k.a. the gospel. And so if I put those three words together as synonymous, truth, living and abiding word, and the word, which is the good news, which we see throughout the New Testament happening, word, truth, being synonymous with one another, then we know what? This truth that we're obeying is the gospel. So how do we obey the gospel? Only by belief in the gospel. This is the amazing thing about Christianity. If you hear nothing else today from this message, hear this. 
that all other religions in the world, you have to obey the truth of what they say to do what? Purify your souls, to wash them clean so that you can be with God or so that you can be enlightened. You got to climb these seven steps up this ladder or you got to do these five pillars five times a day. You got to work up these things. You got to follow these 10 laws. You got to do all of these things. But Christianity is completely different in that your obedience to the truth is one thing. Your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Praise God for that. That's our obedience to the truth. Belief in the truth that Jesus came. He died in our place on the cross and he rose again three days later. Offering us newness of life through that alone. And so now we kind of understand where he's going from. And that is that we've been washed clean by our faith in the gospel. And here's the part of our first point. Here's where we get to the first point that he's making today. That the gospel gives us a new home. So how does the gospel address our homelessness? It gives us a new home. Because what does he say? Why are we saved? Why are we washed clean? He says, for a sincere brotherly love. We've been saved to live in community. So yes, at one moment, the gospel takes away your home. The home that you felt in the sin and the indulgences of your flesh. And it pushes you away from it. You feel strange. You feel like an exile. And Peter addresses that. He gives us a new family, a new home in the gospel. That when you believe, you enter a new family. And he's going to talk more about that. So we've been saved for what? For sincere brotherly love. Sincere as in genuine. Not fake, not hypocritical. He says in in chapter 2, verse 1, to put away hypocrisy. So this is a sincere, non-hypocritical faith. So while the gospel makes us homeless, it also offers us a radical new home. Think about this with me for a moment. I'll, I'll shout out to Mike. We were talking about this passage, and he kind of pointed me onto this. The early church, one of its greatest leaders was an ex-murderer, con man, Paul. It also had, for an elder, a fisherman, Peter. Had a couple prostitutes in there. Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Levi and Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And a former demoniac. That's a pretty eclectic, diverse group of people that don't belong together. And so our community, we can have union workers and white-collar execs. We can have rich people, broke people, white people, black people, boilermakers and hoosiers, all in the same family, through the bond of the gospel. In the world, we don't belong together. But we have a bond that goes deeper than that, that he brings us together for a sincere brotherly love, brotherly and sisterly love, that we are a new family. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, they say this, in Christ, we have been restored to what we were originally made to be. Men and women who live in community and are characterized by sincere brotherly love. In this passage, Peter has been talking from verse 13 through now about holiness. Be holy because God is holy. Is God holy because he follows a bunch of rules and he wears pleated khakis and he tucks his shirt in? Does he do those things? No. Why do we think that is our definition of holiness? 
our, the definition of holiness is to be like God. How is God different from us? He loves deeply, sincerely. So our call to holiness is to love him and to love others. And so here we, we've already been talking about loving God, uh, treating with fear and reverence, and now he's talking about loving each other. That's our key distinctive in this world, is our love for each other. That's our missional hermeneutic to our community, that we go out into the community as a family, as a community that has a new home in the gospel, in the midst of the strangeness that we feel. Give you an example of this. Uh, I've been taking classes at Moody. I'm almost done. Praise God for that. And uh, this Wednesday was uh, the day of prayer at Moody, so all classes are supposed to uh, pray for at least part of their service or part of their class. And uh, my class, we ended up doing it for the entire three hours. It was just that good, that fruitful. So we're sitting around in class. There's only like eight or ten of us. And we just start sharing what's on our heart. People just start sharing. They start crying. We start uh, giving them encouraging verses or ad- admonishing verses if needed. Just sharing life with each other, praying for each other. And it just lasted all three hours. And it was a sweet time of fellowship and family. And here's the thing. If you could look at that group of people, we don't belong together at all. So we got Ginny from China. We have Kadisha from Jamaica. We have Tammy from Argentina. We have Kiev from Mexico. We got right next to me Delphin from Nigeria. We got um, Jez, who's African-American. We got uh, Andy, who's been a missionary in Albania for the last 10 years, the professor. And we got me. Man, we don't belong together at all. But we find this bond, and we are this family, and we pray for each other. How sweet it is when a brother prays for you. He knows your pain, he knows your junk, and he prays for you. Amazing, amazing. So that's to me, is just a beautiful example of this sincere brotherly love. Here's another way of application for you. One author, he puts it like this. Our faith is animated on Sunday morning as we sing God's praise and hear his word. But it limps along during the week as we live apart from the body of Christ. So maybe that's you. You get here and you get pumped up. You're like, oh, man, let it be Jesus. And you hear the word and you're like, yeah. And then you get out there and you're like, you're the homeless walking around, limping around. Your faith just taking a nosedive the moment you step out the door. You feel your strangeness again. We're made for what? For sincere brotherly love. That a brother could text you, a sister could call you. That you could get coffee, that you could pray for each other, that you could eat a meal together, live life together. Peter's in a sense saying, stop living homeless and start living with the family that you were meant to live with. A side note note for you, there's a lot of side notes in this, this passage. It's awesome. I just want to hit some of them. One of them is, if you have not believed in the gospel... Your soul has not been washed clean. You feel that dirt and that grime, the weight of your sin. Think about these verses. That is, can be cleansed by one simple thing. Belief in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That your obedience to the truth here, in this place, is just a simple faith. Maybe today is that day that you would step over the line and have that simple faith. Become clean and find a new home. 
All right, now we come to really the main command of this passage. The second part of verse 22 and the second point for our message today that the gospel fuels our home. So the gospel has given us a new home and the gospel fuels that home. What does he say in the second part of verse 22? He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So the word love there is the only command tense verb that there is in this passage. To love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, let's look through the the words in this passage. I think it will start to give us a picture of what that looks like. What does it look like to love one another earnestly from a pure heart? Well, the first thing that we'll notice is that this word love is the word that we know here and we teach at Bethel, agape love. That self-giving for the good and joy of another love, which is best given to us in the life and death of Jesus Christ. That the New Testament writers key in on this different kind of love and they use it to describe Jesus. This is the word that we use to describe Jesus' love. It's not just like a trite little lovey-dovey love. This is a deep, abiding, lasting, sacrificial love. That we see best in Christ. So I think that's a a beautiful transition here. That that's the kind of love that he's talking about. That we would have for one another. And then Peter ratchets it it up even more. So he's already just said. Love one another self-sacrificially. Like Christ. And then he says to do it earnestly. Now this word earnestly carries with it the connotation of intensity. A persevering intensity. So without ceasing or continuously, constantly. I mean, this this is some tough stuff that he's saying right here to us. A tough command to us. Self-giving for the good and joy of another intensely. And then what does he say? From a pure heart. Now, this is where we get the key for how to do this command. Love one another earnestly, self-sacrificially, with intensity, I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's not going to happen. So what does he say? He says, from a pure heart. That's even worse. My heart is not pure. It is far from that. It looks more like uh, chapter 2, verse 1, filled with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. But he says to do it from a pure heart. That should push us to something. Push us to the truth that we don't have to do it. That we don't have to force it. Because what's the, how's the only way that we get a pure heart? Through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit applying it to our heart. That's the only way. You can't, you can't pull up the bootstraps of your heart and have a pure heart because it's black. You can't love me like that with that agape, intense kind of love. You want to spend five minutes with me, you're going to be tired of it. You want to go home. <laughs> and he says to do it continuously, earnestly, persevere in it. Edmund Clowney says this, Christian love is born as Christians are born through the truth of the gospel. So that love is, is given to us. The Spirit works it in our hearts. It's not something that I can work up. It's not something that I'm able to do. 
Because again, mine is really the opposite of a pure heart. I can't produce this on my own. So how then do we walk in this love? You're telling me, hey man, we're supposed to do this. This is the main command of the passage. And then you're telling me I can't do it. Thanks a lot. I think I'm going to go somewhere else next Sunday. Giving me impossible tasks. And this is where, as I studied this passage, something beautiful came up. I looked at where else this word earnestly appears in the New Testament. It only appears two other times. So the first time is in is Luke twenty two forty four, And this is when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his crucifixion. He's intensely praying. He's earnestly praying. So much so that he's sweating drops of blood. Because he knows what's about to happen. Because of his love for us, he's about to take all of our sin and death upon himself and feel the full weight of our guilt from God, his loving Father. So much so that he's going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is an intense kind of love. That he would take that upon himself and he feels that intensity. And so Jesus is not just our greatest example, but he's also his actual act of love enables us to do it earnestly. And the second time that the word earnestly is used is in Acts chapter 12. So in Acts chapter 12, the apostle James has just been decapitated. Sound familiar? People have been decapitated almost every other day in the news for the last two months. And the apostle Peter is stuck in prison. And the church has gathered together to pray earnestly for Peter's release. And he does get released. So I love how these two examples of the word earnestly kind of key us in on some of the ways that this love looks like in our new home. So given these two examples of the word earnestly, I I see a context of prayer that can be one of our applications for love one another earnestly. What does it look like to love one another earnestly? To pray with intensity for our brothers and sisters. That when you hear after the service, you guys are hanging out, you're talking and someone shares something that's going on, that you would stop, put an arm on them and pray for them. If you've ever, if you've ever uh, been in a service where Tony Sorcy is the preacher and he stands up here after the service, what do you see him doing for the next half hour? He's over here, got his hand on someone praying for him. Then he's over here praying for him. Then he's over here praying for somebody. That's a beautiful picture of a family that understands that We feel strange out there, but in here we're welcomed, and there's a family that prays earnestly and intensely for one another. Also, we can pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, in Syria, Kurdistan, and Iraq, that are facing things just like what we saw in Acts chapter 12. People getting their heads lopped off. Kids getting crucified. Women getting raped, sold into slavery. Those are our brothers and sisters in the faith. Our bond with them is deeper than their Americans and their Arabs, or their Syrians or Persians. Our Christian faith goes deeper than that, that we might weep with them and pray for them. In fact, because of your weekly generosity, Bethel was able to give a substantial gift to help Syrians in Lebanon who are having a particularly harsh winter. They live in tents in a refugee camp. They've escaped uh, some of the bad things that are happening in Syria, and they're living in these tents. And so we were able to give a gift for that. You can actually read about it in the Bethelgram if you pick one of those up on the way out. So I encourage you to do that. So thank you again for your generosity. You guys were loving earnestly from a pure heart. You didn't even know it. Just by your gifts. 
The last thing of application I would commend to you with this command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, is don't force it. Don't, don't walk out of here and say, okay, Joey told me i got to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Mm, better do it. Come on. Got to love this person. <laughs> it's only going to last so long. This love is born out of the gospel. From a pure heart. Which can only be given to us from the Spirit. So pray that the Spirit would help you put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander if it's there and to replace it with earnest, sincere love. If you're with ill will towards your brothers and your sisters at times, which is bound to happen when sinners come together, this next section in this passage has some great truths for us to pray on. So let's move to our third point, which is the gospel sustains our home. So the gospel has given us a new home The gospel fuels our home. And lastly, the gospel sustains our home. This new family, this new community that we have. Will it last? Or will it just fade away? What does he say? Let's read verses 23 through 25 again. Peter says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So Peter gives us another way that the gospel compels us to love one another. He says, since, or because... You have been born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. Then we can do what? Love one another earnestly. So Peter's not writing how maybe we would write point one, point two, point three, boom, 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 building off of each other. His main point is right in the middle. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then he kind of keeps backing it up. And the way that Peter writes, he kind of mixes things together. He teaches multiple things at a time and he kind of weaves them together like a, like a shirt, like a knit shirt or a tapestry. It's not kind of the Roman logic, Western world thinking that we have. He's a Hebrew writing in Greek, which should key you in on. It's just going to be totally flowery and outside of what you think. But it's beautiful. It's, it just takes time for us to really get to it. And so he's saying, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable into this new family, you've been given this new home, you can love one another. Now, how does that work? How does that truth that we've been born again of an imperishable seed sustain our home, sustain our love, our family, our community that we have? Well, let's first look at this idea of born again. We know from Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that unless we are born again, We cannot see the kingdom of God. Our conversion through our faith is so radical, it's a change that can only be described as new birth. As if you were to be born completely again, start over fresh. That old stuff, that old life, that old heart, gone, something new. Brand new. So we've been born into a new family. The old family of the world, 
of our, our connection through our humanity has been replaced with a new truth that we're connected through our eternal God and our eternal life. So we've been, been born into a new family that's based not on perishable bloodlines, but instead based on the seed, which is the word of God, which is what? Living and abiding. It's not going away anytime soon. It's going to be able to fuel and sustain our home forever. We've been talking about this already. Our bond is much deeper and much longer lasting than any bonds we share in this physical world. It's deeper than nationality, than profession, than what region you're from, than your family name, than even marriage. It's deep and it's eternal. This gospel truth sustains our new home. It keeps our new family from fracturing. It keeps us together. We, we, we get together out in the world based on, imper- based on perishable things. We all have the same job, or we all like the same team, or we all like the same restaurant, or we all wear the same flannel shirts, or whatever it is. But the gospel gives us something that goes way beyond that. That we've been born again of a new father. Who is God. But that truth does even more for us. So let's look again at verse 24. Which is actually a quotation from Isaiah chapter 40. He says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, when I first read this passage a couple weeks ago, when I got assigned this verse for this day, I read it and I was like, man, Peter, this is kind of a weird choice. You're talking about the command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, talking about brotherly love. And then you kind of go into this long diatribe about the word of God and how it's imperishable. And you quote this long passage from Isaiah where you're just comparing it to the to the perishability of the world and it remains forever. It's like, what are you doing? I, I just didn't get it. I don't know if that ever happens to you and you read a verse, you're like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't really know what you're doing. But as I studied it, and as I tried to apply its command to love you guys earnestly from a pure heart, the Spirit started to uncover Peter's reasons for quoting this passage. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been offended by a fellow believer? Has a believer ever treated you badly, said some nasty thing about you or to you? I'm just going to assume that uh, everyone's tracking with me on this one. I had that happen back to me. I had that happen to me back in November. I was pretty beat up about it. Their words stung badly. And uh, this week, as I was trying to apply this passage to my heart, I was wrestling with the spirit in prayer. Because I felt, I can't do this. You're telling me to love my brothers earnestly from a pure heart? I, I, I just can't do it. Because again, like I said before, my heart looks more like chapter 2, verse 1. Filled with malice and deceit and envy and slander and hypocrisy. And Peter does something incredible here. He accomplishes two things in this one quotation of Isaiah chapter 40. One, he upholds the imperishability of the word of God. That it's what can keep the gospel is the word of God that we already defined. It can keep us and it can sustain us for all of eternity. Praise God for that. 
that is an amazing truth that we should rest on and relish in, and it should point us to the Word and just get us in there. But also in the context of community. We have to remember this context of community, that he's writing to these people that feel homeless. That they're in the midst of this world that is completely different from what they read in the Word. And that that context is similar to us. We live in a society that feels stranger and stranger to us every day. Now, why, again, does he quote this? Why is this quotation so beautiful? And here's what I found as I studied it. At the same time that he upholds the word of God, he shows us that the things of this world perish and fade away. What's included in the things of this world? The offense of my brother towards me. The offense of my sisters and my brothers that they say things against me or they snub me or they don't see me across the auditorium and they don't say hey to me or they don't make my favorite food when I come over or all the other dumb things that we get mad at each other about. They all fade away like what? Like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. All of those offenses... They fade away. But what remains about us? The imperishability of our bond through the seed of the gospel. And so as I wrestled with the spirit through this, it wasn't just a simple realizing that the offense of that person just fades away. It wasn't just a simple saying, oh, okay, I got it. Cool. His offense is like grass. All right, cool. I'll move on. Why? Because it hurts a lot deeper than that. The pain that we give each other is a lot deeper than that. And this is where I want to encourage you with the the power of God through the gospel. That the gospel is not some cheap dollar store band-aid to our hurts. It's not some Jesus cuddling up with the Easter bunny type of stuff that we peddle off towards each other and that we see all over the place. It is much deeper than that. It is a suture that stitches up the wounds and the chasms that we create with one another. There's some grit and some pain to these gospel truths that speak much deeper than some cheap band-aid with some Hello Kitty on it. It ain't that garbage because your junk is much deeper and much more painful than that. It needs something truer than that. My pain that I felt from that moment was much deeper than that. I needed something more than just someone to come up here and quote to me, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. Just forget about it. Well, I can't. I've been trying to, and it's been like five months. Do do you guys feel like that ever? Maybe you feel like that now. Maybe Maybe someone said something really stupid to you. Maybe it was me. I don't know. But I found in this passage, in this quotation of Isaiah 40, An amazing truth. But this truth, you have to wrestle with it. You have to ponder it. You have to chew it. You have to eat it and swallow it and digest it. You have to, you and the Spirit have to wrestle together. And He has to work on your heart reminding you of these gospel truths. You have to repent of your malice and your deceit and your bitterness and your envy and your hypocrisy. And you have to let Him work in your heart. Because the only way we can have love earnestly Agape type love is from what? From a pure heart, which I can never do. I can never do. Never. Only the Spirit can work that up in us. Only He can create in us a pure heart 
from which to love each other. And so we see how the amazing truth of our imperishable bond helps to wash away that dirt and grind and lets the gospel stitch us back together with those sutures. What do you know about sutures? Leave some scars. They're there. But what does it do? It stitches the skin back together. I've had like over 200 staples in my life on my body, so I know. You can listen to me, okay? But it leaves scars. You don't have to look at my head so long to see that. I got a massive one on my head. So, when I was reflecting on this truth of this passage and I was trying to apply it to my heart, it was a deep and painful exercise, but it was one that I did in communion with the Spirit. And in that, I gained my eternal brother back. Because I saw that, man, what he said just totally hurt. Bad. But I saw that more than that, I was going to spend forever and eternity with him. And he, like me, was a wretched sinner saved by the grace of God and is my co-heir with Christ, my brother in the faith. And in this, God stirred up in me a brotherly affection that I did not have before. For all of you. So a beautiful side note on this passage is that These verses, the amazing word of God, it speaks into our lives with living and abiding power. So whatever junk's going on in your life or whatever great joys are going on in your life, is it pushing you to the living and abiding word of God? Or are you just coasting along, limping along like a homeless guy, more like it? Because... One thing that I, that I was reminded of again is that we can't just come to the Word as if it's just some shallow, trite sayings for us to remember that we post on some greeting card. That it is deep. Because when I first read this verse, I was like, man, is this really the one I have to preach on? Come on, man, can I get something else? But as I studied it deeply all week, the same verses... Chewing on it, reading it, praying it, wrestling with the Spirit. He did something in me. And he does stuff in you as we read, as we study the Word of God. That there's power in there. That it's the sutures that stick us, stitch us back together. And so the gospel sustains our home. Otherwise, we'd be burning it down. We need to reflect on the gospel. So the gospel, it makes us homeless at first. It makes us exiles and strangers. But what does it do? It gives us a new home, a new family. We are saved for what? Sincere brotherly love. The gospel fuels our home. We're supposed to love each other earnestly, intensely from a pure heart, which can only be had in the gospel. And the gospel sustains our home for all of eternity, that we are a family forever. Forever we will stand together to sing praises to our God. So back to my wife and I, Julie. Seven years ago, we felt completely homeless. Total strangers in this new place called Northwest Indiana, the region. No friends, no family, no nothing, no community. 
But we came to Bethel, and at Bethel we found a new home. We found a new family, new friends. We joined a small group, and in that we found brothers and sisters who loved us with a sincere love, born out of the gospel. We were joined together by the gospel, even though we weren't from here, even though we didn't root for the same teams or eat the same food or go to the same schools or even know how to drive through these intersections. We were bonded together through the imperishability of the seed, which is the word of God, the gospel. And so we found this new family, Tim and Brittany Krieg, Nate and Emily Chandler, Dan and Angela Collins, Brandon and Allie Kissy, all of who go here to this campus. They became our new family, our new friends. They spoke into our lives. We spoke into their lives. We prayed for each other. We poured out our troubles. And in the gospel, through our imperishable bond, no matter where we go or wherever we are, how strange we feel, we find a new home. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can call you Father. That uh, in this world we are orphaned, homeless children wandering around trying to make it work and we just mess up over and over and over again. But you give us a new home through the imperishable truth of the gospel that it will never fade away, that it is living and abiding. And God, you cause us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart, that Holy Spirit, that you would work in us this week to guide us in brotherly and sisterly affection for one another, that we can't force it, we can't work it up in our hearts, but that you would just make the gospel truth resonate in our hearts and just slowly and surely, Lord, as you always do, you're so faithful to do, cause us to love one another. Lord, may we delight in this family that we find in these people in this room, that we are not alone in this world. That yes, we feel strange. That yes, we feel like exiles, alone and lost. But we don't have to be. That we have a family. And more than anything, we have you. God, for those of, the, those of us in this room that are struggling with hurts and with pain. Maybe from believers or maybe from unbelievers. Lord, may the truth that it all perishes and fades away. May it just work in our hearts. May just purify our souls. And may you, Lord, through the gospel, stitch it together that we can live in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in the faith. May they this week live out these truths. May we love one another. May you be glorified in it. And may we spend forever eternity doing what we're about to do right now, singing praises to your name. Amen.